everyone. Today's scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, we may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous, in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Everybody's awake out there. I like that. My name is Marcus, or like I said last week, folks back home say Marcus. I prefer Marcus. I'm just kidding. Um, as the ushers come down, if you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. We'll hand you one. We preach from the Bible. Um, that's our gift to you. If you don't have one, you would like to follow along as I preach. Uh, that's where we were coming out of this morning. So if you like one, just raise your hand and the ushers will get that to you. It's our gift. If you do not have one, please keep it. Let us pray. Gracious God, I'm humbled to be before people preaching your word as an imperfect man. Lord, may the words that you've placed in my heart through the study in the Holy Spirit come out and be received in the hearts of those who are seated here today. Lord, may they not hear words from a middle-aged man trying to tell me what to do. Lord, may they hear from you this morning. I'm just a mouthpiece to clearly communicate your word with courage. I thank you for where we are in our lives, where we are in the city and where we are in the country. In such difficult times, we look for hope. And we pray this morning that there is hope and courage in how we should live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I always start and warn you that I always say that James chapter 3 verse 1 warns me personally as I, as I do what I do this morning. So for the next 30 minutes, what I'm going to do, I will be judged more strictly for. The Bible says, let not many of us choose to become teachers or try to become teachers or preachers because we will be judged more strictly. Some, some translations say more harshly. So when I read that and I, and, I, and, I, and I study and I get ready to preach, these are not my opinions, and some things will come off, may sound that way, but I, I, I work as hard as I can and let the Holy Spirit work through me so that I preach something, so that if one heart is in here who can hear and understand clearly the Word of God, I pray that's, that's a win. This morning, uh, as you can see, as uh, Ellie, thank you for reading, uh, we have deviated a little bit from our series where we're walking through the book of 1 Samuel. This morning, we are in... 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you'd be like, why are we in 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Well, because this time of year, uh, things are starting anew as Dave prayed, and we want to start 
a sense of discipleship, a sense of togetherness as we go forward. And one of the places that we want to emphasize and we realize that we've fallen short is the area of giving and generosity and our money and, and all those kinds of things. If you're squirming in your seat right now, I'm just going to warn you, it's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> I always like to tell you, right, we talk about this all the time, I say, Sometimes I get on your street, sometimes I'm on your block, sometimes I'm in your house. Today, I'm in your house, I'm on your couch, my feet are going to be on your couch this morning, in your metaphorical couch, so get ready. I didn't get an amen, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> welcome back, uh, college students. Um, welcome back for many of you. We're, we're happy you're here again. We will pray for you uh, as you go through your studies this year. Uh, summer is ending for some of us. Some of our kids are transitioned to school. Uh, there are new programs, like Dave said, have started. Um, the school year always feels like the beginning. I don't know about you, but I, I used to get this feeling inside of me when August came around. It started getting cold a little bit, a little chill in the air. You know homework is going to be due soon, all that kind of stuff. I started to get some kind of way about school, right? I didn't do well when I was in high school. So I used to have bubbles in my stomach all the time. Well, this morning, we're talking about resources. Specifically, we're talking about money. What's your money story? What is the story that you were told growing up, whether verbally or kind of actively around you unconsciously, what would you grow up, what ecosystem, milieu did you grow up in when it came to money? What money script would you say what was handed down to you? Some of us, see money as a means to freedom. Some of us, this is how, through money is how we show love to others or how we receive love from others. Some of us see money as the way we take care of ourselves, a sense of security. Some of us see money as now I have the ability, if I have a lot of money, I have the ability to control others. Some of us see it as power. Some of us see it as therapeutic. We feel better when we have it, or some of us see it as something that we consume, something that we need to spend, something that we need to have fun with. Some of us in here, no doubt, know how to multiply it. Some of us know how to save it. Some of us know how to stretch it. Some of us know how to make it work for us. Some of us see it as an idol. We will do almost everything or anything to get more of it. As I read those statements, you probably fit in there somewhere. An expert says this, one expert, one financial expert says, when it comes to money, people often play some tapes. And I'm going to read these, and you tell me if you, you play this tape in your head sometimes. If I had more money, blank wouldn't be a problem. You fill in the blank. I work hard. I deserve the new blank. I will never be able to pay off debt. These are your money stories. I can't, get, I can't seem to earn enough to get ahead. I need X amount of money to have peace of mind. Or, one of my favorites, I'm a cheapskate. Some of us spend money on things ourselves, and sometimes we're called selfish. All of those are on the spectrum of somewhere, some script or something that you were handed down or someone told you right? Money can elicit a whole slew of feelings. Sometimes there's shame around money. 
Because maybe you grew up, you didn't have enough. Or you, sometimes you had too much. It can bring out pride in us. It can bring some guilt. It can bring stress when you don't have it. Many, many more things. Am I on your street yet? One street philosopher said this. When I say street philosopher, you know what I mean, right? It says, having money ain't everything, but not having it is. This is a discipleship moment for us this morning. We have, we have to realize that sometimes I believe we've been discipled incorrectly when it comes to money. Or we've been discipled partially. Or some of us haven't been discipled at all. When I say discipleship, I mean no one sat and taught you how you should relate to money. How to handle money and your personal resources. Our attitudes around money do not reflect sometimes the faith that we claim. I'm going to say that again. Some of our attitudes towards money does not reflect the faith that we claim. Money is not just a problem of the poor. Money is a problem for the rich as well. Both extremes sometimes tend to hoard. When I was a refugee, when I came to this country, we didn't have it. So when I got money, I felt like I needed to show off. I needed to get the latest things. Or sometimes you feel like you have to hold on to it. You make it stretch, and it becomes this thing that, 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 that rules over you. Or if you have too much, you do the opposite. Things that make people uncomfortable in church, right, or two things that make people uncomfortable in church, are probably more, I mean, at least for me, when we talk about sex or we talk about money. We're not talking about sex this morning, so you're welcome. I hope I'm in your house today. Amen. The piece of scripture that Ellie read is found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It is written by a man named Paul. Paul was planting churches all over the ancient Near East, right? And he's, he's establishing these churches in Corinth, in Galatia, in Macedonia. And then he would start this church and he would move away, right? And then some of these congregations around hundreds of miles where some of them were struggling financially and some of them were doing well. So he writes this letter, the second letter to the church in Corinth, right, 2 Corinthians, um, to say to them, hey, you guys, here's what's happening, right? Paul has come to, he's come to them to raise money for the other, the Christians in Jerusalem were struggling financially, who had, they had come under some hard times, because there, there had been a famine for them, and the church in Corinth was actually doing very well, so he's coming to them and say, hey, you guys need to share your resources with another church. In the passage, Paul is using this kind of as a lesson to the Corinthians that the gospel of Jesus Christ has not hit them in all aspects of their lives. They have given their life to Jesus, but it's different parts of their lives, specifically their resources, and they not reach. The gospel, among other things, is God's great story of generosity towards us in so many ways. Pick me up in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, the point is this, Ellie, thank you for reading. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Paul is saying that we are farmers. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you just got it. It's a farming metaphor, Right? Paul uses this farming metaphor here to tell, to help his audience to understand a life of generosity, a, lot, a life of generosity and of sacrifice. A farmer, he's saying, uh, if a farmer holds on to seed, if you're giving seed, if you're a farmer and you never plant the seed, nothing happens. 
But when you plant the seed, it multiplies. It feeds more. It produces more. It rarely just ever stops. The generosity of the farmer in nature is to plant seeds so that many others may benefit. It is a difference between hoarding and investing. God has given us, a lot of us in here, with great talents, great, great abilities, gifts. Some of us hoard for personal benefits, but some of us share freely. The agriculture metaphor here is doesn't, sometimes it doesn't quite land with us, right? It's like, but I'm not a farmer, Marcus. Can you bring it down to me? Can you bring it over to me? Yes, I will, right? Where it doesn't land, it will land in your heart, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In your heart is where the transition, is where the transformation has to take place if you want to live a more generous life. The heart in Greek is the word cardia, where we get cardia, cardiac rest, is the heart, right? We're not talking about the splechna where we make decisions, where when someone breaks up you, that place that hurts, that's not the heart he's talking about. He's talking about the heart, as opposed to where our deepest emotions are found. The heart he's talking about is the inner life that we have, our intentions and our intentionality. A decision to give, to give sacrificially, to give has to be made from the heart. Uh, he is saying not in pain or compulsion, right, but to give. I remember when I was in, when I was in high school, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was broke, man. Who's, who isn't broke in high school? Maybe a few of us. Um, I would go to church, and some of the most uncomfortable moments, I would say, when, when, was when the offering plate would come around, right? When, it, when, it would, when the plate would be passed, and in some churches, it would pass the plate multiple times, right? And I feel sometimes in those settings, I used to feel like I feel a little bit of pressure to have to give, to have to put something. I felt a sense of compulsion to put something in the plate. Can anybody say amen with me? Right? You feel that, man, I ain't got nothing. I, oh, oh, when you're getting ready for church, you're like, I, I'm, I don't even cash. I, I got to put something in there, right? It's a sense of compulsion. That's not the heart of giving that God is talking about, right? Some people are pressured or manipulated and say, man, you, you, you ought to give because this is that, this is that, and you're forced into it. That's not what he's talking about here, right? I used to always tell him, I said, man, if they keep passing this plate around, back then I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a pastor, you know, so they, if you keep passing this plate here, y'all might come up short, keep messing around, you know. <laughs> I'm going to make some change up in this camp, right? You don't know. If you're here today, we're not passing a plate. If you're here today, you're in a financially tough spot. You said, man, Marcus, I would love to give, right? But I can't because I'm in a tough spot. You don't have to give out of compulsion. You don't have to give when you don't feel like it. You have to make a sacrificial choice. This is not kind of, you're not paying me for services rendered. Does that make sense? You're not, you're not saying, oh, Marcus was really good today, so here's more money. It's not a transactional relationship that we have. I heard some amens. We often ask you here to give regularly and sacrificially, right? But go home, decide what you want to give. 
pray and then give. Your giving is not between us and you. It's between you and the Lord. You know what you make. You know what you don't make. You know what you can give. And you know what your heart desires and where your heart is. But Marcus, you say, you don't understand, bro. I got these student loans creeping up on me. Right? I barely make anything. I'm barely surviving. I hear you. You are more than what you earn. You have a lot more to offer than your money. But I will warn you that if you don't get in the habit of giving, you will get in the habit of hoarding. I saw a counselor for about a year working on forgiveness. And she told me that if you wait until you're ready to forgive, you'll probably never get there. If you wait till you're rich enough or you make more enough to give, you probably won't develop the habit of giving sacrificially. If you wait until you say, man, I'm going to get to a certain number and then I'll start giving, when you get to that number, your lifestyle gets to that number as well. The habit won't be there, but a lifestyle will. I prefer, you can head, you can head nod, you can take notes, but I like amens too. Some people will say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you what you love. Nowadays, maybe people don't mess around with checkbooks, but look at your bank statement and you can see what you love. Right? Where you spend your money is what you love. Some of us is food. Some of us is TV, streaming services. I'm on somebody's couch right now. <laughs> Some of us is things that make us feel good. Read a little retail therapy. I didn't know this that I was studying that there are 50,000 storage facilities in this country. 3,000 get built every year. We have stuff. We have more stuff that we need other places to keep it. If you have a storage space in here, let's have a conversation. <laughs> Not a necessity, you know what I mean. We are blessed. What I'm trying to tell you is that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. One of my favorite actors, Denzel Washington, often says, you will never see a U-Haul following a hearse. All the stuff that we're going to earn here, we're going to keep, we're going to have in our houses, when we die, we leave it right here. We can't take it with us. I don't know about you, sometimes we go to estate sales and people's valuable possessions are sold at like a dime a piece. The things that they treasured. Now people that they don't even know are going to have it. So why hoard? Super expensive things that you took pride in, that you loved. One day you will die, you cannot breathe, and someone else will put your clothes on you. If you choose that, and you'll get, you'll get buried. I remember in seminary I was really desperate for money, so I started working for a, a man who was organizing people's lives when they died. Uh, he was helping people plan, plan how to die. And I'm at a trade show. You think I was the most popular booth on the block? No, I was not, because nobody's trying to talk about their death, right? Things that we project to project a certain lifestyle. 
brands. We'll leave it all behind. I have a pair of shoes here. These are J's, right? J's. The 10s, Jordans. They're old and beat up. These shoes, when they came out, I don't know what year it was, I think it was 96 or 97, they were the thing to have, right? They're worn out now. You can see they have Michael Jordan stats on the back, on the bottom of the shoe. They're perfect. They were over $100, you know. These aren't my shoes. I have a cousin, or I had a cousin, who called me one day and said, Marcus, you won't believe this. I bought the 10s, the red and white one. They are sweet. I got them. You know, and he was taking care of them. If you step on them, it's a problem. And, he, you know, you know, you know there's, there's, there's shoe culture, right? <laughs> he had these shoes. On April 24th, 2010, my cousin was shot and killed. And when I went to clean his apartment in his car, this is what I took out of there. I keep this because it reminds me Whatever we have, we leave. We don't hold on to things. Things are things. People, relationships, be a blessing. Be a blessing. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Allow things to flow through you. Give, not out of compulsion, but because of what God has done through you. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. If you say to me, you're saying, well, Lord, I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm probably, I'm, li- I'm in poverty somewhere. I want to assure you, and I like to tell this distinction because I have this vision. I have this kind of disposition that we live in probably the richest society. The country we live in, our standards of living are really high. Last summer, you guys know you were here. I went back to my home country, Liberia. And the things that I saw, particularly one of the things that stuck with me, one of my friends is the head of the hospital one of the big hospitals in Monrovia, Liberia. And he said, Marcus, I need your help. When you go back to the States, we need to raise money because our only x-ray machine is not functioning. It has broken. Their only x-ray machine in the hospital was broken and they needed to raise money. Came back home. We helped them raise money. By the way, he's one of the, he's one of the doctors that got Ebola in Liberia, came back and got healed and, and, and went back to Liberia. The glutton for punishment. I got to love him. I love him. He eats in places in Liberia that I wouldn't eat. <laughs> he took me to some restaurant, dude. It was just a fast shot. He's like, oh, I go there all the time. I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to get something out here. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the hospital that I was born in. And I felt the connection because they're not only, if they're missing an x-ray machine, you know they're missing other stuff. It's a maternity hospital. People go there to deliver babies. When you measure it, when you look at your, your world in that lens, you realize, I do have a lot. I have been blessed. We have been blessed. Verse 8. 
And God is able to make, here's the sweet, sweet stuff right here, you stay with me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The word all is all over there. The Greek word is pasan, all over there, all, 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 all. He said, well, if I give my stuff away, who's going to take care of me? If I, Marcus, if you're telling me I need to give more things away, who's going to take care of me? Last week I was in a men's group, <laughs> and one of the guys said, I learned at church when I was a kid it was Jesus, others, and you, joy, but it never got around to you. <laughs> it was always Jesus and it was others. We never got around to me. Let me put some guardrails up for you right now. I, I, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to put some guardrails up right now for those of you who think, man, when I walk out of here, I'm going to give everything away. I'm not saying that. Or you're thinking, I, I, I have to give a lot away, right? And if I give a lot away, you're still thinking it's a transactional. If I give, the more I give away, God will make me rich. No, 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 no. No, sir, no, ma'am, right? That's not a transaction. The temptation to go on autopilot and find some kind of secret to giving and say, Lord, I'm going to give you this because I really want this, that's not it. If that's what you're hearing, you're missing it. This is not, I'm not preaching some quick, some get rich quick scheme to say, if you, the more you give to God, the more you're going to get, right? It's not a secret to world wealth. I'm not Susie Armand, whatever her name is, or Dave Ramsey, right? I'm not telling you to spend or save, but I'm telling you, I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to a sacrifice. I'm calling you to a counter-cultural way of living. It's a way of living that says, God, I trust you to meet my needs. You have blessed me before, and you will bless me again, and you will, you, will, you will do things that enable me to live in a life that is sufficient so I can live, so I can give more to people who need. What are you holding on to that other people need? You see the homelessness in our city. Paul is telling the Corinthian church that you have more than enough this is not, by the way, this is not, this is not, this is not a you when he's talking. This is not a you singular. He's not talking to individual people. He's talking to a group. It's a you plural, right? He's saying you individually can give in order to serve everybody in the community so that we can all be sufficient, so that we can all have what we need, and we can all be prepared to do every good work? What would it be like if we could do every good work in the city because we're all sufficient and we're able to give? Don't rush to make this about you personally. It's about us collectively. So who will take care of you? We all will, right? In our culture of individualism, it's hard to see others caring for others. It's hard to see yourself subjected to other people caring for you. In our society, we tend to hoard and we give some because we're afraid that if I give a lot, I won't have enough for me. God gives to us so that we can share what he gives for, to others. The seeds that God has given you to plant, do not hoard. Because if you hoard, they will die. Right? When we sow, we multiply and God gives a lot. So let's get down to it. How much should I be given, Pastor Marcus? <laughs> Doe, as my, my, my students would call me. Hey, Doe, how much should I be given? 
in the Old Testament, the Bible teaches in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, that we gave our first fruits and we gave 10%, what's called a tithe. The people back then gave a tenth to the Levites, who were the priests back then, to support them because the Levites couldn't work. Those were the religious people of the time. And the Levites, in turn, gave a tenth to the chief priests. And those who didn't do that, those who didn't give a tenth of their, of their income, were actually threatened with a curse. While those who gave were promised a blessing. The Old Testament says, give a tenth of everything you earn. We are commanded to support those, by the way, who preach the gospel, right? And while we should enjoy good things, God gives us, we, all, we are also called to be generous. So the 10% thing is kind of like a bottom level, like a medium. So it's like, we don't want to give and say, oh, here's my 10%. That still goes back to the heart of compulsion. You understand what I'm saying, right? Under the new covenant, in the New Testament, we are to be even more generous, For many in the West, this will mean giving some of your time, giving some of your talents, giving some of your resources. There's so many more ways you can give than just money. Give generously as you have purpose in your heart. You are blessed, like I said, to be a blessing. Now, the natural question, the cynic in me, the skeptic in me, because I wasn't always a Jesus follower, right, says this. What are you going to do with the money? It's okay. I know some of you are asking, if I give you my money, if I give this church my money, what are you going to do with it? Dave and, Dave and Marcus, right? What are they going to do? Private jet? <laughs> Luxury cars? Maybe a new pair of J's? What are we going to do with the money? Hear my heart on this. I rarely ever talk about other ministries and other churches. But when I see pastors berating their congregations for not giving, or I see pastors living extravagant lifestyles while people in their congregations are in poverty, it pains me. And that is wrong. You see those, you see that on social media all the time. This pastor, right, preachers and sneakers. This pastor has this and that. And people see that be like, dude, is that what you do? Man, that hurts. It pains me for them because of what awaits them. As shepherds who God has entrusted over a set of people who they've, people have given you their money and you're using it for luxury items. It pains me for the church. The reputation of the church erodes in culture because you see that. There are countless stories of people leaving the church because of this. I say woe to those people who pray on the poor. Pray with an E, not pray with an A. Vultures. Let me go through some statistics so I can help you reassure so you can set your balance. According to LifeWay studies, according to the study, most congregations in this country are 100 people or less. 57% of congregations are 100 people or less. 21% of churches average less than 50 people. Around 1 in 10 churches, 11%, average 250 or more in their worship services. Pastors with the heart that God has given them don't go into it for private jets and money. 
more than two in five churches only have one full-time staff member. Most pastors in this country, most pastors around the world are rural, bivocational, meaning they have two jobs. The 1% that you see with the private jets and the big homes are extremely rare. Most pastors are preaching and teaching, but you never hear of them. 80 people or less, bivocational, living in, in Spearfish, South Dakota. They never go viral, but they are faithful stewards, counseling people and being steady over their lifetimes, giving their lives to preach the gospel so that people can understand and live differently. The future of the American church in the next hundred years looks more like this. It looks more like pastors being bivocational. It looks very different than the past hundred years where big buildings were erected, right? Multiple services, lights, extravagance that has been, that has become the norm. That is not the history of the church. That is not the norm of church. Because of the generosity of the last generation, you see that. Where I think when I look forward um, into history, or I look forward not into history, uh, into, into the future, I see churches going back to 80 people, 200 people, homes, no light shows, no extravagant performances. It's about the people and God. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because we need people to be discipled, to be generous towards each other. Here's the bottom line as I close. Here's the gospel, if you haven't heard it before, in financial terms. We serve a God who has riches in glory, who gave us life. Everything we have is his, and he has freely shared with us. He was wealthy with all divine privileges. One commentator says, he became poor, he became a poor human being in order to give us access to the riches in heaven. When we understand what God has done for us, you don't need to be manipulated. You don't need to be primed to give. You have been blessed enough to have life and you give thanks to God for it. Every one of you here, every one of us here, owe the debt that we cannot, we could not pay. We are all sinners, saved by God's grace, and the greatest gift is that we get to spend eternity with God. We could not leave his riches, God would not leave his riches to come down, not to set an example, so that we may live. We could receive this incredible gift of eternal life that we could not have possibly earned, we could not have possibly bought, we could not have possibly negotiated. He paid our way and cemented our stay. We can be generous because he was first generous to us. In the end, we give because we trust God to care for our needs through other people. We receive the ultimate blessing. When Annie and, when Annie and I got married, two weeks later, we, 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 we left uh, Denver, Colorado and went to Boston. We didn't have any jobs. We we're praying, we had some wedding money. And for six months, I couldn't tell you how we made rent. 
We just kept getting gifts. I was, <laughs> Annie was working, you know, hostessing, doing different things, and I'm shoveling snow. I picked the wrong winter in the wrong part of the country to decide to shovel snow for a living. <laughs> God takes care of us. Jesus gave his life freely so that you and I can stand in front of a just and mercy God, a merciful God so that we can be justified. We are called to be a blessing because we have been blessed by your heads. Thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father. Your gifts are sufficient to keep us. You have loved us. You gave us breath. You give us breath every day. All the talents and gifts that you've given us is ours, but they're really yours. They're yours. You spare us and, and say, Lord, can, we, can you use your talents and gifts to, to, to bless other people? Lord, I know in my heart I've met more generous people who aren't Christians, and that's a shame on Christians. Lord, we repent for living a hoarding lifestyle when you've called us to be more generous. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.